Hello again, and welcome back to Bible Studies with Russ. Today we are picking up in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Last time we covered uh, quite a bit, going all the way through chapter 19. And as we begin this section, we want to notice just a few things. Uh, it's important to remember that Revelation is not chronological. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are at the same time as chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 12 backs all the way up to the birth of Jesus. And chapter 20, as we notice the war in 8 and 9, is the same uh, time as chapter 19, 18 through 21. Now, chapter 21 through 10 is, is simply a recap of some added details, added details of the time periods already discussed in Revelation. Chapter 20 ends with the same battle with which chapter 19 ends. Chapter 20 goes back to pick up this, the story of Satan's restriction and final doom after the world is vanquished in chapter 19. If all men are destroyed in chapter 19 and chapter 20 follows chronologically, who are the nations of chapter 20 and verse 3? Well, Revelation is a vision, therefore not literal events, but dramatic representation of real events. You can compare the vision of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. Okay, so with that being said, let's look at Revelation chapter 20, looking at verse 1. Here the Bible says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great, and a great chain in his hand. Now, the angel here is either Christ or the personal agent of Christ. So, it is through the church that Christ wields an influence to restrain Satan. The key here that's mentioned in verse 20 indicates that he has power to open and close. The bottomless pit, or the abyss, is the present symbolic abode of the devil and his angels, and now the ultimate lake of fire and brimstone is the realm of confinement. We mentioned this earlier, how we talked about how evil rises and falls, and they go back and forth from the bottomless pit, and how when they are cast at the end into the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death, there is no coming back from there. And so, again, the bottomless pit and the lake of fire and brimstone are not the same things. He also mentions here in verse, verse 1, a great chain in his hand. With a chain, he will be able to bind Satan. Again, the key and the chain are not literal. Since Satan is a spirit, he cannot be bound by a literal chain anyway. The chain may be believed to be the gospel. Chain also stands for a restraining power. Christ, through the church, as we see in verse 1, through the preaching of Jesus crucified, restrains and crushes Satan and his forces. We find similar ideas uh, back in Jude in verse 6, in Matthew chapter 12, 28 and 29. Looking at verse 2 of Revelation chapter 20, uh, here, He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Four terms are used to describe the devil. Dragon indicates he is the, the animating principle which dominates the ungodly world powers. We find a similar idea in Ezekiel 29 and verse 3 and Jeremiah 51 and verse 34. The word serpent here indicates cunning and deception. Devil means a false accuser or slanderer. And Satan is an adversary or an opponent. We also find here the phrase, he is bound a thousand years. Well, bound, it has a literal meaning of binding as one would bind as one would an animal or a burden as on one's back. 
a wife we know is bound to her, uh, to her husband, Romans 7 and verse 2. Satan had bound a woman with, with an infirmity, but she was still able to go to the synagogue, Luke 13, 10 through 16. Paul was in bonds while in prison, but was still active in preaching, Colossians 4, 3 and Acts 28, 31. A vicious dog may be bound by a stake and rope, however one can still be bitten if one wanders within the sphere of the dog. So it is with Satan. This binding took place when Jesus died on the cross and was raised. The time of the fulfillment is now, as we also find in John 12, verse 31. The significance of the binding is not to say Satan has no influence in the world. He is not free to deceive and control as he once was. Thousand indicates a long or complete time. Why should we, should we think that a thousand is literal, with all else being figurative? Thousand is used not literally, but figuratively, for vastness or a long time. Again, so much of, of Revelation is figurative. And it's, it's, again, like I mentioned before, it's remarkable that in so many other places in the Bible, people want, to, want it to be figurative, things to be figurative. But here, when we get to the most figurative books, book of the Bible, at least in my opinion, we have so many who want to make it literal. Well, why is that? Well, well, the reason is because a lot of false doctrine and, and theology enters in. Looking at verse 3, And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he, could, so that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. So he is not completely bound, but cannot deceive the nations. Which we are reminded of a similar idea in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. The purpose of the binding is so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. Released for a little while means a short period of time as compared to the thousand years. The conclusion that the 1,000 years symbolizes that period of victory be beginning with you know, Constantine when Roman persecution ended and continuing until some time before the Lord's return when Satan will be loosed from his present restraint. Again, figuratively being bound uh, you know again the influence of satan you know rages and then kind of wanes wages rages and then kind of wanes and we see that throughout history uh <clears throat> looking at verse four here of revelation 20 and i saw thrones and set on them and and they set on them and judgment was committed to them then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. I saw thrones as, figurative, as a figure of speech representing the reign of the saints. We find the same idea in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 12, and Revelation 5 and verse 10, and Romans 5 and verse 17. The kingdom of God within within faithful individuals, Luke 17, 20 and 21. Judgment was given to them, that is, judgment was given to the faithful. This was done by this, by the harlot being thrown down by the vengeance of God. Reign with Christ a thousand years is the next phrase here. The, the idea is that they lived and abided with Christ in unity for a period of time. Verse 4 may be better explained, uh, perhaps saying it this way. 
I saw the saints seated on thrones, ruling over the flesh, the world, and the devil. Yes, I saw the vicious lies, or excuse me, I saw the victorious lies of those who had been beheaded, and also those who suffered because they refused to worship the beast. As a matter of fact, all saints lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And so what we find here is a picture of victory in where the saints were with Christ for a period of time, reigning with him. Uh, they abided with Christ in unity for a time. Looking at verse 5, But the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. The dead were not raised until the resurrection. Those who had been part in the first resurrection were the faithful. Those who had part in the first resurrection, as we see in verse 6, are those who are the ones who reigned with Christ a thousand years. Those who had part in the first resurrection are the faithful who reigned with Christ. The second death has no power has no power over these, because they are faithful and are with Christ. Those are the, are the true uh, true to God. Those who those who are true to God, share in His glory and death. A certain overflow of Satan, and all His agencies is guaranteed. What what is happening in verses four through six is at the same time of a thousand years. These verses t- uh, these verses tell us what is happening to the saints, and so we find here a time of victory, a time of 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 where persecution has subsided. Uh, Roman persecution has come basically to an end, and the uh, church is pictured as being able to reign or abide with Christ. But we know that persecution, while it, again, like it fades and comes back, well, it comes back again, as we see here uh, throughout history. As we look at verse 6, we notice again, I want to take another quick look here and include the comments of Brother Summers from his commentary, Worthy is the Lamb. And he has this to say about the first resurrection, as it's mentioned here uh, in verse 6. He says, This triumph of the martyrs is called the first resurrection, the triumph of the martyrs. The second resurrection, he says, which is not mentioned but implied, must be the general resurrection discussed so often in the New Testament. The first death, which is not mentioned but implied, must be physical death. The second death, which is mentioned here, is symbolic of eternal separation, eternal punishment in the lake of fire. The martyrs are pictured triumphant. The martyrs who are pictured triumphant are blessed because they have passed the first death, physical, and the second death, eternal separation from God, has no jurisdiction over them. Their cause triumphs with them. They are victorious with the Christ for whom they died. And so, again, as he mentions here, the triumph of the martyrs is called the first resurrection. That is like overcoming and uh, these uh, persecutions and, and things of that nature. The triumph of the martyrs, those who have died because of their faith in God and faith in Christ. Okay, let's look next at uh, verse 7 here. Verse 7 takes up where verse 3 of chapter 20 leaves off. Um, now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. In the spirit of faithfulness, they bound Satan by overcoming him. When such a spirit in loyal, when such a spirit and loyal devotion to the principles and cause of Christ no longer distinguish God's people, the restraining power is gone. Is gone, and Satan is loosed once more. Again, figurative, not literal. And so, basically, we find here is that when the when the church begins begins to struggle and members begin to fall into unfaithfulness, what happens? Well surprise, surprise, evil reigns and sin comes back, and that's what we find here in verse seven being alluded to. John finishes telling us what Satan will do and what is going to happen. 
Looking next at verse 8. And will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Now in Ezekiel 38 verse 2, Magog is the land over which the prince Gog rules. Therefore, as the nations went against Judah and carried them to Babylonian captivity, Gog and Magog symbolize the nations of this wicked world as they go, go against the Lord and his people. Gog and Magog are used kind of like we might use Hitler or Nazi. These terms represent the enemies, the forces of evil which fight against the church. Satan is going to gather together an innumerable number to make war, which he will lose. This is the same war we read about in chapter 16 and chapter 19. Again, we're not talking about literal things here. And so what we find here is Satan is going to do all he can to attack the church. As we find there in verse 7 and verse 8, the church is struggling and Satan begins to pounce. Not uncommon. When do you, do, when do you attack something or someone? When they're the weakest. Verse 9. They went upon the breadth of the earth, and surrounded the camp of the saints, and, and the beloved city. And the fire came down from God out of the heaven, and devoured them. The devil, who deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented night and day, forever and ever. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 together. We see here in verse 9 that we are amazed at the evil and the power of Satan, God's people are represented as a military camp, which indicates a temporary place, as well as referencing the fact that Christians have a battle to fight. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, notice there, they surround the camp of the saints, right? We know many times the Christians refer to as the, and described as a soldier, when uh, Paul talks about the armor of the Christian. And what is that? Why do you need armor? Only when you're going into battle. Um... The idea of representing God's people as a city reminds us of a city like Jerusalem and the fact that there is the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, Hebrews 12, verse 22. It's also interesting how many times fire came from God to punish and execute judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19:24; Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. And when the Lord comes back, he will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance, 2, Timothy, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 9. As we look at verse 10, we find the final doom is described here. Uh, looking, going back to verse 10, the Bible says, The devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone. Remember we mentioned last time when someone's cast in this lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death, as we'll talk about more later, there's no coming back. Thus he goes on to say, The, the, the devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This also tells us that when he, when a person goes to the goes to Sheol or hell uh, uh, here, sometimes I confuse Sheol and when hell. But we look here in verse ten, the terms. I mean, um, we look here verse ten. This is a place of final torment where it is there is no you know this is not uh, torments like the Hadean around when we talk about Hades and uh, torments and paradise. This is now the ramble we're talking about either heaven or hell. Par uh, heaven, a place of rest, or hell, a place of torment, day and night forever. This also removes any idea that when a person goes to hell that they will eventually be annihilated. Well, if you're tormented day and night forever and ever, you're not coming to an end. You continue on. You continue to be tormented day and night, he says, forever and ever. 
You notice also it's interesting the Bible doesn't go into detail how a person is tormented. We know the Bible many times when we talk about hell, we talk we talk about fire and brimstone, and we talk about the lake of fire there in verse 10, lake of fire and brimstone. We talk about the wailing and the gnashing of teeth, with a place where the, where the worm, where the flame is not quenched, and the worm dieth not. But and we think about Lazarus who calls out, uh, not Lazarus. I mean the rich man who calls out. You know how he is tormented in this flame, and here in verse ten it simply says they will be tormented day and night. It doesn't have to go into detail how. No doubt fire is involved. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. But we notice here it's forever and ever. It's a place we totally and completely want to want to avoid. It's a place we want nothing to do with. We also find here's a place where Satan, the devil, here in verse 10, is going to be. It's a place where the beast and the false prophet are. It's where all the false of God, the phonies, and the rebellious, and those who are rejecting and have rejected God, rejected God and rejected Christ, this is their final dwelling place. It's also the final dwelling place of those who refuse to repent. It can be the dwelling place of those who once knew Christ and then walked away. Friends, we want nothing to do with such a place. This is the ultimate doom of the devil. It is portrayed as he is cast in a lake of fire and brimstone. This is where the beast and the false prophet are. We look next at verses 11 through 15. We have the judgment scene being described here. It's interesting as you look at Revelation that, you know, we, we start with the churches of Asia, then we go into a lot of heavy, heavy figurative language talking about, you know, destruction in Jerusalem. But as you work your way through there, we find that we kind of have this battle scene and persecution. We have all those things being described there. And then as we get to into chapter 20 and into chapter 21, we start to see the victory. You start to see the Christian who is going to who is able to overcome the martyrs who are now sitting on the throne as they're pictured in chapter 20. And as we get into chapter 21, we know there's a reason why many Bibles have the heading, All Things Made New, because we start talking about a place where there is no more pain, no more sorrow. But we're going to get to that if time allows today, if not next time. Let's look now at verse 11 of chapter 20. He says, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, fled away, and there was no place for them. On the great and final day, the world will pass away. As we see in Revelation 21, verse 1, as Peter also reminds us, that went on the day of judge, judgment, that uh, the earth and everything therein will, be, will melt with a fervent heat. Uh, in this verse, emphasis is placed on the glory of the throne in God and who sat upon it. And upon the passing, the fling away of the universe, that is, everything's coming to an end. You know, there are those who today who are really pushing the idea that we will live on a renovated earth. But friends, if heaven and earth passed or fleeing away here in verse 11, how can you renovate something that is not present? Uh, a lot of false ideas concerning this, but the Bible, as we see here, when we look at it and we, and we examine it, we find that we, our resting place, our final dwelling place, is not a renovated earth. Friends, let's be honest. God can do much better than that, and he, ha and he has. In fact, Christ tells us uh, that in, he, in, in his Father's house are many mansions. Uh, I'll go to a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. Christ isn't going to be dwelling on a, on a renovated earth. No, he's dwelling in heaven, and that's where we'll be also. So let's not be so full, be fooled by some of these false and ridiculous ideas. Uh, verse 12 here, 
the Bible says here, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, the things which, which were written in the books. A lot is said here in verse 12 about books. It's so interesting today that we have those. And, and I remember one lady, she wasn't a member of the church, and unfortunately she talked about Bible studying it being boring. Friends, how many times are books and Bible study talked about throughout history? Uh, Bible history, the writings, scriptures are mentioned because how important it is for us to know them and so we can follow them. The Bible is not boring. But the problem is we live in a society that is so hung up on entertainment that unless there's explosions and, and catchy music behind it, we don't want to pay attention to it sometimes. Friends, how sad it is. The Bible is one of the most is the most exciting book we will ever read. But the world, no doubt, holds many temptations to pull us away from it. Look at verse 12 here. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. <clears throat> so the small and great will be there on this fixed day, Acts 17, 30 and 31. At this point, Satan will have already been banished, as we see in verse 10. It's also important for us to understand that this is a this is a final judgment day, Matthew twenty five, forty six. The small and great means God will show no partiality. The small and great everybody will be there. Even even Elon Musk and all those guys, you know, the Tesla man, the Jeff Bezos, the Amazon man, all those guys will be there. I'm not saying they're necessarily bad people, but they'll be there. There's doesn't matter if they're great or small, they will be there. We also go on to see here in verse 12, he says, And books were opened. Now, this is almost universally understood as being the books of the Bible. That is, we are we are judged upon the word of God. And so the books, plural here, seems to be a reference to God's word. So he's, the book and books were opened. And then notice next, and another book. Notice there's a separation between books and book. And we find here in verse 12, this this another book that was opened as is referenced here in verse 12, he says, which is the book of life. And so the book of life is not one of the books that were opened in plurality. You have the two separate groups, the books separately and then the book of life. Again, the books seem to be a reference to, reference to God's law. We know today is the books of the Bible. And then the, the book of life, that is, in which holds the names of all those who are, who are faithful to God and who will, ha- who will have heaven as their home. He says, and the dead will be, and the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which are written in the books. Again, have we lived up to God's word? Have we been obedient to His word? Who is the judge? Well, God, well, God is is, uh, will be, will, God is no doubt one who has set His law forth, but Christ is the one who is the judge, who will judge the living and the dead. It's uh, a reference here, same before God. Well, Christ is being part of the Godhead. Will be the ult- Will be the final judge. Um, on the basis of what we will be, what well, on the basis uh, we will be judged. Well, we'll be judged according to our works and our time. Men reject first the idea of judging or being judged. You know, you're not supposed to judge anyone. Well, if we're honest. We judge people every single day, right? What do we mean that by that? You walk in a store, you walk past someone, gets in line next to you, and you smell. Uh, maybe smell a cigarette smoke, or maybe smell alcohol on their on their breath. You make a judgment, right? 
What's that judgment? Well, this person obviously smokes or this person obviously drinks. Uh, you hear foul language. You make judgments saying, boy, I make, you know, <laughs> it makes you wonder about people. That, you know, we make those kinds of judgments. Um, righteous judgments. You know, someone sends next to us and, and, and we don't smell smoke. We don't smell alcohol. We don't hear foul language. Are we going to make a judgment about them? Maybe, maybe not. Now, we are to judge according to righteous judgment, right? That is what we see here and are, are surrounded by. We judge those things based upon if they're approved of inside of God. We make judgments every single day, but we are not to judge based upon our own standards. We are to make judgments upon the righteous word of God, righteous judgments. Um, what is our standard? What is the standard that's going to be used here? The word of God, that, that is uh, what will be used as a standard. We, the book of life is a record of the faithful. Looking at verse uh, 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Each one according to, so each one according to his works. Again, everyone is raised up, right? The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the, the dead which were in them. So the bodily resurrection is affirmed. The Lord's resurrection assures our bodily resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 23, 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 10. Verse 14, the death in Hades, then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And the first physical death is the separation of the body and spirit when we die, but this is a second separation of the wicked from God. This is the second death. That is, when those who are unfaithful, sin before Christ, they will be cast out. Verse 15, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And was the lake of fire? Verse 14, the second death, hell. Boy, let's do all we can to avoid such a place. We're going to end there today. When we come back next time, uh, Lord willing, we will pick up in Revelation chapter 20. I do hope you have enjoyed this Bible study. I hope it has been encouraging to you and uh, been insightful and been uh, something that has helped you gain some knowledge. If you have any questions or concerns, you can contact me through our Facebook page, Bible Studies with Russ, or you can send me a, a, a message through our website, BibleWayMedia.org. Again, I do thank you for listening and hope to see you again next time.